1: Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com.
2: Welcome to The House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Lizzie. And I'm Kaveh.
1: And we're two gastroenterologists.
2: What's a gastroenterologist?
1: You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system.
2: Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. Where now?
1: Your butt, Joe. It's your butt.
0: Oh.
1: On today's show, we have Mary Roach, an author specializing in popular science. You have to check out her books, Spook, Science Tackles the Afterlife, Our Favorite, Gulp, Adventures on the Alimentary Canal, and her most recent book, Grunt. Stay tuned. And I'm alive and I want to stay, for the first time I'm on my way, and I'm ready for the world, I'm ready for the
2: girl, I'm ready to save. And welcome back to the House of Pod, I'm Kaveh. I'm Lizzie. Joe is not here today, he's at a Mensa conference, he can't join us. How you doing Lizzie?
1: (laughs) Mensa conference, nice. I'm pretty good, Um, you you know, saving lives, taking names, saving lives. I have like a little story about maybe how to be a better patient. Um, do you want to hear it?
2: I, You know, how to be a better patient is our most condescending and yet somehow my favorite part of the show.
1: What do you mean? Yet somehow, of course, <laughs> condescending and of course my favorite. We would love, by the way, for our listeners to send in how to be a better doctor. We would love it so that we felt a little bit better about all the how to be a better patient. (laughs) Just do it
2: so we can keep doing our bit. If you guys tell us how to be better doctors, we will keep doing this bit. Thank you.
1: Right. Anyway, eosinophilic esophagitis is like asthma of the esophagus. Um, And the easy term is EOE. So I told this young man who's probably in his 20s, you have eosinophilic esophagitis. I know it's a big word cuz he looked really sort of struck in <laughs> yeah, when I said that one. word. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, just remember E O E. E O E we call it. And he goes, "You know, I don't think I can remember that." I'm like, "I'm going to I'm going to email you." And uh, you can copy and paste it. "Oh, I don't I don't think I can copy and paste it through your your hospital's app.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your
1: hospital email. Um I'm I can write it down for you." He's like, "Um Okay, well, I'm moving to Germany. Do you think that they'll know what that is? And I'm like, I will write it down for you. You should write it down for you. Do you want me to call your mom? Like, I don't understand why you're making this so difficult for me.
2: How, how old is he?
1: He's like 25.
2: You know, yeah, So you're kind of at that age where this should be like... He's got to manage this on his own.
1: And then I was like... And then, you know, he was a little bit silly. So I knew I could say this to him. I was like, have you have you seen the movie Memento? And, and he's like, I'm like, you can tattoo EOE onto your arm or something. <laughs> like, I don't know your politics or your religion. Try to tattoo it. Like, he just every step of the way that I was trying to explain how to remember this really cumbersome word. And yeah. I understand that patience. I don't expect him to explain it to me or to know what it meant. But he seemed... Like he was lost in this world of yeah. now I'm moving and I have no idea how to manage this. You're abandoning me. I'm like, You're moving to Germany.
2: <laughs> Wait, he didn't say you were abandoning. Him, no, but he, but, but he gave
1: me that feeling like I could there was nothing I could do or educate him or write for him yeah. that would help him empower himself to seek right, medical care right, right. if he left my services. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There it was, was a big shock for him. Yeah. So how would he be better how could he be better patient?
1: get a tattoo (laughs) that the moral of this story (laughs) um anyway so that you know i don't know how he could be a better patient i'm just saying um to sort of in the moment he just sounded really um like he not wanted to fight but every single idea i had for him to absorb the information was met with some resistance yeah yeah no no every step of the uh, way
2: i will say this is an interesting phenomenon like um where sometimes you'll have a patient, and this is, this is on us. This is like our weird, our weirdsies about it, like our weird interpretation of it. But like when you have like a patient, and you feel like you're trying to help them, but it feels like they're resisting you at every step. what they're mm-hmm. like, you're like, well, here's what you need to do. You need to increase A in your diet. Oh, I can't do A because of this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then you need to try this medicine B. Well, B won't work for me for this reason, that reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then we got to go to see, and and there seems to be at every step something now. Right. Very rarely is that because the patient is actively trying to. It's, it's never that the patient's actively trying to sabotage their own health. Right. But it can certainly be frustrating to the doctor as well. I mean, that's something that doctors have to 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 deal with sometimes and learn how to deal with and know. It's not the patient trying to right. sabotage their own care, right. but it certainly can feel like it sometimes right
1: and it's it's obviously an expression of frustration. you know the patients sometimes will come to you you'll be the fourth, eighth, tenth person they've seen and they're like, well, I've tried all that, I've tried all that. I've tried yeah. you know they don't want to start over, but it's your job to understand where they've been even if everything right. is in the chart, they're like, look at my chart, look at my chart. you really you need to hear the patient's perspective, you know yeah. like because not everything is communicated. it's just like, You know, people in an office, law firm, business, whatever, people don't communicate the same way and people don't communicate effectively all the time. So that's the same way with doctors. I see my colleagues notes and probably 80% of the time I understand what's going on, but sometimes I don't, (laughs) you know, it's not the handwriting because it's all computerized now. It's just a way to communicate. If you list 40 things that you discussed, I don't know what you as a physician actually think.
2: Right. You know, if you say
1: discuss this with a patient, discuss discuss risks and benefits, risks and benefits, we discuss this or this or this. I don't actually know what you as a doctor think. I'd love to know uh, your summary and thoughts.
2: And and just a shout out to every doctor who writes a note where they actually speak in their own voice. Mm -hmm. And you don't see this in younger doctors, but older doctors, older than us, you see this a lot and I love it. Well, they'll speak like they're actually talking where they're like, it's my belief that this patient is suffering from blank, from this and this and this. I feel like this is likely what's happening. And, and younger doctors, they don't do that. Right. And that's probably also why note writing and the, and the act of getting like, all your charting done is so painful for younger doctors. Right. Because you have to write in this very formal language and you have to write in this way that is not your own natural voice
1: my friend Allison would have a colleague a few years ago who instead of writing low salt diet or avoid sodium or whatever, would just write, eat less Fritos. And that was like, (laughs) that's his voice. You know, it is sort of like, I'm sure that was just one example, but I love that. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. Eat less Fritos, live longer and get tattoos.
2: Our next guest is one of my favorite authors, of all time. I'm very excited to have her on. Her name is Mary Roach. She's written books about the GI system, Gulp. She's written books about dead people, Stiff. She's written books about the afterlife, Spook. Her newest book, uh, or her latest, I should say, is uh, Grunt, and it's about soldiers and the science of uh, being a soldier and going to war. So stay tuned. It's a great interview. So our next guest writes the smartest and most entertaining books on science around, at least in my opinion. She's known for writing about the science and medical topics that are often described as taboo, like the scientific contributions of cadavers to the science of sex and our favorite, obviously, the GI system. And her enthusiasm and curiosity are really infectious and her books are so much fun to read my favorite science author uh mary roach hey mary
0: thank you for coming hey.
2: yeah thanks hey, so much for that coming that was
0: a heck of an introduction thank you <laughs> Why don't we just stop now <laughs>
2: yeah <we laughs> quit could, while we're ahead
1: we could keep going i mean the book for our listeners as cave and our gastroenterologists, is obviously gulp um and it's just so fascinating your voice and the way that you make it Um, it's honestly what we hope to do is educational, but silly and sort of awesome. Um, it makes you very curious about the subject.
0: Do you have a background in science? No, I was one of those high school kids who just thought that science was a drag. And if you wanted to do something creative, you were going to take English classes and writing and art. And that is ridiculous because... Science is, it's your body, it's the trees around you, it's your car and your computer and the universe. I mean, how could science not be interesting? But that was kind of my take on it because I had kind of lame, boring science teachers in high school. Yeah. So, you know, I'm now on a mission to not be lame and boring about science.
1: Yeah, and and in particular, what describe your passion about poop and the elementary canal as you... You know, you highlight in your book that that's such a wonderful way to describe the GI tract is, you know, how can you you just picture coasting along very relaxed and very happily on this canal?
0: Yeah, I wanted to kind of make this sort of a travelogue, and the fact that it's called a canal just kind of cracks me up, the elementary canal. (laughs) So I wanted to be able to kind of, like, come along on this cruise along the canal. (laughs) And the the gastro... I mean, the GI tract, it's like it's this weird place that, you know, it it has its own rules, right? It's full of bacteria, it's disgusting and filthy, and the rest of the body is all sterile, and, like, anything goes down there in the GI tract. (laughs) Uh, So it is... um, it's a very merry, roachable place, you know. <laughs> did you say full of roachable? Bacteria and shit and acid. And, <laughs> <laughs> is it, is,
2: you did know? you say roachable? It's a back like alley. the like the roachiverse? Is that like what? <laughs> is that what we're referring to? All your books as they're like they're roachables.
0: They're roach, Yeah, they're roachable topics. That's very they are. good. They, I, I, I that, you know I know them when I see them, and, and uh, so the elementary canal is definitely definitely a roachable place.
2: <laughs> so speaking of. Roachable places. You, I mentioned that people have described the topics you cover as taboo. I mean, obviously, I, I don't really feel that they're taboo in any way, and, and you don't either. But there are subjects that a lot of people um, don't talk about much in polite company, like dead people and sex and, and the GI track. And in your later book, your latest book, uh, soldiers and what they have to go through physically. Um, so, what responses to your writing have been the most surprising? both either positive or negative, what responses to these topics have surprised you?
0: Uh, There have been books of mine where I was nervous that I would offend people, not just by the taboo nature of, say, dead bodies or shit (laughs) or farts. Um, Sorry, flatus.
2: (laughs) Uh, Oh, thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I was kind of... You know, I thought, is this like combination of you know humor saying cadavers is that um, offensive? Is it off-putting? And what surprised me is that I got a lot of responses from people who appreciated a little bit of humor in a world where people are—they're uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable with death. They're uncomfortable with sex. They're uncomfortable right. with their own guts um and the things that are in them and when you give people permission to laugh and be straightforward i think they really respond to that and i didn't see that coming it could easily have gone the other way people could have just thought this is a an immature you know sixth grader take on all of these topics which in some ways it is sure but um there was a people embraced these things in a way that i didn't expect and i think Um, I think people want permission to talk about things that are taboo. You know, they want to kind of diffuse that tension.
1: Yeah. And you're right. You know, so many people write about sex and the body and anatomy and science and very few people write about like poop and digestion. Um, And I thought that, again, was a wonderful approach to that. And and I do also appreciate that you are letting our listeners know that flatus is the fancy word for fart and <laughs> eructation, if you don't know, is the fancy word for burping. So, a lot of people don't know that stuff. Um what was your favorite part of writing gulp? Was it like the research and the history? Was it learning about flavor and smell and the olfactory sense? Like what what part of it was sort of the most shocking or interesting or fun for you to to learn about
0: um well before i before i get i mean actually all of it was kind of surprising and fun but one thing i wanted to say before we move off the topic of taboo something that i found really interesting was the fact that when something is taboo like the anus and the rectum people don't want to talk about that And, and the fact that they're were no support groups or ribbons or anything for anal cancer and the people didn't want to talk about it and maybe even people were discouraged from doing research in that area. I found that kind of, not just, just kind of sad in a way and kind of, um, uh, it's
2: also dangerous because we have rising numbers of colon cancer in, in, in younger populations. And we're finding some of that, Uh, that increased tumor load is, is rectal cancer. And people once there is this weird sort of, um, a stigma. People can say they have colon cancer and they I don't feel they have a lot of shame about that. But there yes. are some people who are a little bit less inclined to admit they have rectal cancer and that's still in the colon. So it's right. it, it's yeah. I think it's super important that we address these subjects, not only because it's fun to read about and you do a good job of making these things fun to read about. But because it's important to do, and if we don't speak to it and and understand it, and if we don't put some effort towards it, we're not going to get any closer to fixing it.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I have a, a friend, uh, actually my husband's friend, who got prostate cancer, and his he's been so just out there about, like you know, the fact that he had it, the fact that he had surgery, he can no longer get an erection. He's just out there with it. And I think it gives people permission who've gone through the same thing or who are afraid of the same thing. Yeah. It gives them permission, number one, to talk about it and feel okay talking about it, but also to consider the surgery option based on the right pros and cons, not just what if, you know, what if this happens? I don't know. I don't know. I've never talked to anybody who's had it, so I don't know. I don't know. Just to... You know, to to be straightforward and open is is kind of in itself a a healing thing.
1: Yeah, and on our show, we've had people who've been addicted to drugs and who have had breast cancer and and want to share that. And it really is an important and valuable thing to share. Um, and and talking about poop, you know, I have patients. Kaveh and I both have patients who have issues with continence who who poop themselves, fecal incontinence and urinary incontinence. And I remember being taught as a med student, as a fellow in training, you have to ask your patients about that because people are so ashamed and it's so taboo that they'll never actually offer that information unless you ask it. So again, this is a service that we're trying to do, you know, with you, with your books, us, with our podcast, to to destigmatize some of this stuff, you know, depression, for example.
0: I mean, all of the conditions that are... Whether it's diarrhea or, you know, incontinence or ostomy bag or what, whatever it is someone's dealing with. They, it's bad enough to have these issues and problems, but then to feel the shame and to feel like you can't uh, talk about it, I, I think just makes it that much worse. Yeah. Right.
2: So
1: it's not a science background for you. You do feel like it's a little bit of a like your curiosity and also maybe a little bit of a mission for you to to do this for people
0: yeah it's if you know, mostly it's me just following my curiosity and having fun and selling some books and maybe teaching people and entertaining them but as I've gone along and there's been that kind of response to the books um yeah I wouldn't say it's a mission but definitely it's been really gratifying to yeah. get that response uh,
1: sorry I do want you to answer if, if it's easier like um, a fun answer for you like you're your favorite part about gulp like what you've learned that's like again shocking or fun or just um you know uh, fascinating for you
0: Oh god gulp you know the the time that I spent with uh, that woman who basically does a kind of olfactory forensics Yeah She's a, she's able to she's hired by the beer sometimes the wine industry to smell a batch, say, of beer, and and to know by the specific things she's smelling what went wrong and where. Like she can go, oh, you've got sediment in your tanks. And that's why it smells like old diapers or whatever. There's nothing what the worse. <laughs> but that that she, and she was actually she kind of spoke, not spoke, but smelled a different language <laughs> and, and was able to, you know, by teaching herself in the same way that people who make wine learn with these kind of here's these specific compounds that have these individual smells now you can you learn those and it's like learning the notes of a song yeah later on you can hear a symphony and pick out the different instruments the different notes whatever it is you could you have this almost supernatural ability that was fascinating to me because I used to think that when people talked about oh I'm getting melon and hints of cardboard I'd be like that's bullshit you're just making about <laughs> it, right. but in fact, it was—it's—it's it's, comes from this ex- from experience. I mean, I, I, the olive oil people blew my mind. I tried out to be a, a professional they had tryouts for olive oil tasting at this up in in Sonoma somewhere, and I couldn't even tell if it was rancid. And other people were like, right. "Well, I'm getting grass, and I'm also getting lemon, and I'm getting." I was like, "Whoa, you are!" But it just because they work—they work, but in that field, and they. They just, in the same way a child absorbs a language just by hearing it, they were able to, um, they just could read a smell. That was so cool.
1: Yeah, and they could train themselves to some extent. But you have heard of
2: these studies, right, uh, where they take like these wine sommeliers and they take these guys who consider themselves to be connoisseurs of wine. And they present them two wines and they say, hey, this wine is a hundred bucks. This wine is like five bucks. Describe them and, and rank them. And then they'll go through this whole description where they'll rank them differently and they'll rank the more expensive wine much higher. Yeah. And then they'll yeah. describe them in very different words. And then the you know the punchline of the whole thing is that it's the same bottle of wine. It's just that they were influenced by the price. Like do, That yes. kind of thing makes it hard for me to believe people when they talk right. about stuff like that. No,
0: I, I, that's what I said. My assumption was just this is all bullshit. But there's a, And there is a ton of bullshit in that field, but there are also... Some leas. I mean, there's an amazing book called Cork Dork, where this woman spends two years and she learns that language and she, she, you go along with her, because her initial impression of it all was that this is ridiculous, you can't. Yeah, but then they're mostly gay, being able to identify where this wine comes from, possibly what vintage um, it wasn't so much rating it that's a highly subjective thing right right and that's, that's where there's no I see objective yeah. this wine is better than that wine. Right, and that's right. a, she got, took a lot of shit for saying, yeah, you know what like Matus Rose from that, that, was, a, that's a, that was a good wine. I was yeah. like don't don't tell me what is it isn't is is entirely preference right right, right. But, th- but what amazed me was the ability to identify the type of grape. The region mm-hmm. and possibly even the vintage, Right. that's what they're tested on. Sommeliers, but there's definitely a lot of bullshit in this in sure. that in that world of marketing. I should say not bullshit marketing. Right. Yeah.
2: So, so your most recent book, Grunt: The Curious Science of Humans at War, is in I think some ways your most daring book, and and I think it's and I'm curious to, to hear what you have to say about this because I feel like it's daring because. It's the kind of book that your typical reader may not want to pick up at first. It's a subject, at least from the cover, yep. war. Like a lot of your readers are people like us, like, you know, nerds that, you know, don't have a huge interest in war or fighting. And, of course, the book isn't about that aspect of it. It's about the yep. science behind it, the scientists, the behind war, all the scientific advancements and all the weird stuff that goes into um, the science of war. But... um did you get a backlash from it? Was there, how did people, how did your typical reader respond to it?
0: Um, I didn't really get a lot of backlash from readers, but I definitely had a lot of readers um, based on sales who just weren't drawn to the topic, didn't know what the book was about. I mean, the book is, it's kind of the, it's the opposite of most military books. It's not, I mean, military science is for most people bombs and bullets and strategy and killing and this was a book about all of the people researchers scientists and medical people who are not about killing they're uh, they're about keeping alive they're about trying to uh help make the experience of war less awful so it's a book about extreme sleep deprivation extreme stress maggots the pros and cons and lovely things about maggots and horrible things about maggots and uh, how they train uh, navy corpsmen the people who help out marines who've been, who stepped on ieds or been shot i mean how do you how do you give medical care when somebody's firing automatic weapons at you like how do you do that how do you train them so it was it was a, it was a, a kind of counterintuitive take on war and definitely in its way, a very anti-war book, not anti-military. It, right. Because there's no, there is no the military. There's a lot of uh, kind of evil profit motive stuff that goes on in the higher echelons. But there's also a lot of really caring um, medical and science professionals who are you know, kind of trying to make the experience a little less dreadful and doing it in kind of really interesting ways and bizarre laboratories and facilities because, you know, the military's got, A lot of money so there's an you know an entire military entomology department at Walter Reed I'm like really military entomology what goes on there so again just me following my curiosity into a world I know nothing about and because I'm not no one in my family was ever involved in the military and I've never served I don't know anything about it so that made it interesting to me but I think to some of our readers not so much Parted because they have negative associations sure with the military and they weren't really sure well what's she what's she on about with this one so yeah. it wasn't a natural cell um and yes you know, spook was a little bit similar people thought that that was that I'd gone all new agey, and was right. writing a book about here's what the afterlife is like you know but in fact it wasn't anything like that but You know, you just look at a cover and you don't really know. And you think, no, that's not a topic that grabs me. So um,
1: when we're in the office, Kaveh and I, when we're asking about poop, we use this Bristol stool scale. And Uh, (laughs) and, and I'm sure you've heard of it. But a colleague of mine recently told me that the patient could not use photos um, as well as he would want to. They would not represent his poop. So he whipped out uh, clay so that he could sculpt his poop (laughs) To convey exactly the issue wow. that he was having with his poop on that day, he's he didn't think that pictures did it justice. His <laughs> wow. his particular, de, uh, you know, debilitating pooping. Okay, just like
0: Well, so, yeah, there, yeah. There's only six different pictures. So if you're somewhere in between four seven. or five, Wait, uh,
2: seven. Is there seven? Right? There's uh,
0: seven. All
1: right, there's seven. Mm. Uh, Kaveh is correct. I just did a quick Google search with my, um, my eye.
2: I'm an expert, Mary.
1: It, we, we are experts. I, Number it's seven. It's been a while. In it's poop. been a while. Although that's I know true. you know there
0: are, I get coffee mugs with the Bristol stool <laughs> scale and all its right. images. Well, I, and I gave one to my sister-in-law, so I see that whenever I visit.
1: Well, I was thinking if I were to give Mary Roach a gift, it might be like a clay, like a Play-Doh clay set. And then Kaveh and I were wondering, we were brainstorming questions to ask you. So based on like some of the nature of your writing, you must receive some very interesting, unique, strange gifts from people. So what is the strangest gift you might have you recall?
0: Well, I have uh, someone brought this to an event. It's a coprolite. It's a small, very, very, very old fossilized turd and I don't know <laughs> which prehistoric animal created that turd. Uh but it's wonderful and, and just uh, just you know it's just it's always cool to have something that old but just the added element that it's a, a turd is what right it, up my alley. So that is displayed proudly on our uh bookshelf in the T V room. That is amazing. What is it called? A copper light? Copper light, yes. Exactly. That's, that's awesome. It's just a little brown rock hard turd. if you shit <laughs> that it would be a really bad song nobody There's has no... ever given me a turd yes way off the bristol stool scale there
1: is no moisture in that sucker <laughs> <laughs> number number seven i think that would be number seven no, be negative <laughs> yeah, that would be, like... be
2: negative one
1: negative one. Oh, yeah. sorry yes the pellets are the low numbers yeah. sorry
0: yes minus a thousand That's yeah. right. uh, My someone bad. else and this is i love this one Um, I was doing a talk in Syracuse, and the man interviewing me was actually not a gastroenterologist. He was, I think, uh, uh, an imaging person, a radiologist. Uh, And he gave me um, a 3D printed, red plastic 3D printed rectum on a little platform. And (laughs) I don't know whose rectum it is because it's made from somebody's, (laughs) is it a CT scan that they make? They take the, you know, they, they, they take that and they feed it into this printer and this printer create, and I use it as a, a pencil cup. Oh,
1: I like that. I like that. He didn't tell you whose rectum it was when clearly it was his own rectum.
2: <laughs> he was like walking yeah. kind of funny when he walked up to you. He was like, I got you something special.
1: He didn't take his own rectum and give it to her. It was yeah, a 3D I know, but image. He,
2: he clearly made like a cast of it. Like, right. you know, or he, he had some enema or something in order which to do that. And then he made like an x-ray of it. Sure. He filled yeah. it with like something that yeah. was something he could x-ray and then made a, a, a an image. Image of it.
1: Mary, if you could send us his information, that'd be fantastic. I want to get Kaveh a special gift for his next <laughs> birthday.
0: <laughs> and it's just the best color. It's like a bright red, like very inflamed. Wow, Ooh. Ooh. You, you would not want that to be no, your rectum. I don't no. want to see
2: that. So, you know, you, speaking of which, you shine a light on a lot of subjects, a lot of
0: shine a light where well, there's
2: not a lot of light and you shine a light on a lot of the unsung heroes of science and medicine. That's something I really love about your books. And I feel like your reporting gets to these people more than the typical journalist questions do, even people yeah. who have journalists with like a science more of a science background than you. So what's your secret in doing that? Is it just hanging out with them for longer? Is it more questions? Is it getting them drunk? What do you do to, <laughs> to make Sometimes that connection? Sometimes
0: it's getting them drunk. In the case of some um, Russian cosmonauts, it was – very easy because they made that suggestion at 10 in the morning to break out the whiskey um so some they actually didn't require whiskey to kind of spill the beans and talk about sex and space and everything else but the um the answer is it's all of those things definitely spending more than an hour you know sticking around making an absolute pest of yourself for Mm -hmm. an afternoon for two days sometimes a whole week you know um Mm. I just feel like the longer you – up to a point, you don't want people to start to resent you and hate you. Right. Uh, There's only so much of somebody's time you want to take up. But definitely I try to stay at least overnight, more than a day, uh, because people start out telling you what they think you want to know. They want to show you a PowerPoint that sums up what they do or what they've done or what they think might be important to you and they can't know what I'm after.
2: What, you, what you're each, looking for is probably yeah. not on a PowerPoint. I can't imagine you've got a lot of <laughs> it is book points for PowerPoints.
0: Not on a PowerPoint. I have a zero tolerance policy for PowerPoint. Nice. <laughs> I mean, the PowerPoint's fine. If, if somebody sends it to me ahead of time, like, it's a good way to kind of get an overview mm-hmm. of, of their work and mm-hmm. some of the issues. But I don't know what the best questions are until I get there and I, we just start talking. And, and part of what I love about meeting with these people is the incredible passion and enthusiasm that they bring to, say, saliva <laughs> or the sensitivity of the molars and how they can feel a, a grain of sand when you're eating salad. And it's so amazing. And they're, they're so stoked away with this respect and admiration for these little bits and pieces of the body. And that is something I love and that never comes through in a journal paper or in most news articles about their work um that kind of, like you said there these are these unsung heroes they're working in obscurity and often doing things that are really important and at the very least fascinating and so it's such a joy and an honor to spend time with them and kind of absorb some of their passion for the human body and because it's a miraculous thing you know yeah. and, and we yeah. take it for granted yeah, and our guts—we never even see them. Yeah. They're in there doing their thing. I mean, in my case, I yeah. just had a colonoscopy without anesthetic. Anesthe- <coughs> so
2: that's right. I you talked—you talked well, I I about that in your cold. book. Gulp. You talked yeah. no anesthesia. How did that go for you?
0: Ah, that was very painful. <laughs> okay. yeah, that's good. Yeah, that kind of sucked. <laughs> Is that the honest? That was um, yeah. I very quickly stopped looking at the screen, and it was just going like ah. Yeah. But <laughs> so, yeah. it only really hurts when they go around the corners. You know, You're it's like right, sure. it'd be like. It'd be fine, and then there'd be a kink or something. They had to kind of push it through, and of course, stretch receptors. Right, they're stretching it out, and it hurt. That's right. Kaveh and, and I, and I have a pact.
1: We're gonna do one another's colonoscopies, and we're at both, the same time. At the same time, without <laughs> anesthesia or sedation at all. Um, that's not true. How
0: are you going to do them at the same? T-
1: you're going to like lie.
2: How lie? <laughs> we, we haven't worked through the science no, of this, Mary. No, we this just, is...
1: we just came up with this, this moment just to entertain you. Um, <laughs> See, so, I think that's a really sweet pact. I
0: love that. <laughs> we
1: said by the time we're 50, if neither of us have had a
0: colonoscopy, we would do one another's anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want to kind of, you got to like choose the right person to do your, especially your first colonoscopy. You know, you know how I chose my, Gastroenterologist. How? By his name, his name was and is Dr. Tournament.
2: Oh, yes, we know him. Yes, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. He he asked for that one. Yeah, he He did. did. Yeah. He He had to become a gastroenterologist with that name. We all we all (laughs) agree on that. Um so you mentioned before that you are also a fan of Dr. Jennifer Gunter, who we had on our show, who is just again no nonsense. Cut, cut the bullshit, kind of doctor. She's obgyn, yeah. and she's very public about her distaste for sort of quackery. Um, and we specifically have discussed, you know, goop, um, goop.com, with mm-hmm. her, and we're not trying to promote it at all. We are trying to promote Jennifer Gunter in any way we can. So, do you think that there is like this growing culture of pseudoscience and this disconnect between? science and the public, do you feel like that's something that you have um, witnessed as a journalist, as a writer, um, just as a curious person or in your personal life? Is that something that is important to you to sort of dispel?
0: Yes. And I think that in the past few years, um, particularly the Trump era, there's been this disturbing tendency to not only not read about or not listen to science but to just reflexively cast aspersions dismiss it um accept any bullshit you read on the internet um, or on the back of a package this this lack of kind of informed critical thought just is kind of a, it, it's very upsetting to yeah. me yeah, uh, I feel like we've gone so far backward.
2: Um, so you do feel like it's getting worse. Then it's not yeah. just our imaginations. It's not just that. Oh, the public has always had this sort of distrust of science, and it's not that there's always been quackery, but it's always been our gut feeling that things are getting a little bit worse. And and does that seem to actually be bearing out in your sort of research? Oh, very
0: much so, very much so. And you see, I mean, there uh, particularly uh, in in the younger generation there's um you you see doctors appealing to that crowd by offering at the same time they're offering more standard medical practices they're also offering alternative i mean their advertising um includes alternative medicine Mm -hmm. and insurance companies covering some Alternative medicine, and I don't mean to. I mean, I I'm a big believer in the power of the placebo effect. That if something is working for someone, and it's a fairly minor complaint, and they seem to be finding relief, who am I to say that's bullshit? It's not. It's not really working for you. You know, I don't want to be that person. But but by the same token when people when it shifts into a rejection right. of traditional medical practice and a rejection of all this amazing and expensive and really well done research and the progress that's been made in so many fields right that's it's just it's depressing and it's dangerous i i yeah. agree
2: completely I, you know just like you're saying most of these things don't have that much risk to the patient, although some certainly do. We've talked about those in the past. A lot of these alternative therapies can be risky. But even the ones that aren't, the real fundamental problem is they make everyone question a reality. They're like, well, you know, who knows? You have your truth. We have our truth. We have alternative facts, you know? In reality, yes. no, there is a science. And, and science may not be perfect, but at least there is some, there, there's something there to work with. There's a framework in which to work with. That we that we put a little faith in, and we have to test.
1: And even if science doesn't have the answer, and this alternative therapy, let's say, or this pseudoscience thing has an option that people feel like they have none, there's also a huge cost that I don't think is, um, you know, discussed that much. I'll tell patients you know, yes, you can do that. I don't think it's going to hurt you, but I I don't think it's worth your money or your time. Yes. You know, and I don't think people are that honest with stuff like that because they are taking advantage of um, uh, like a population that's sort of needy or in need and clearly has resources. And it's just, there is a manipulation and a marketing factor.
0: Um, There's a practice that goes on now. uh, And as far as I know, there's no accepted evidence that it helps. And I may be wrong about that because I'm not following it that closely, but there's this trend toward injections of stem cells or red blood cells, components of the blood that are that your own blood that are then injected into your knee or your shoulder places that are hard to treat with conventional medicine, hard to get results and really expensive and not covered by insurance. Right. Right. And People are lining up for this treatment and doctors, some doctors are, and this is, uh, this is MDs. This is not like the person at the gym who wants to give you a high colonic. These are, these are MDs <laughs> right. to see, uh, I guess, a market and a um, a way to make a lot of money off of it. And uh, yeah, it's just it's like, wait a minute. Do we know that this A works? B isn't harmful?
2: Right. Right, no, it's a, it's great. It's a great point. I mean, doctors were part of this process. We're part of this problem too, and you know, we see, like, for Goop, for example, there's doctors who back her. You know, there are doctors who are part of this process. And oh
0: yeah, look at Mehmet Oz. What the heck happened to no, him? Oh
2: boy, yeah. We don't. We have a <laughs> zero mean, like, Oz. I met. To- <laughs> I met him
0: back when he was a just just transplant surgeon, oh. and I did. I mean, he was just like a really interesting guy who had a lot of interesting things to say about heart transplants so oz, and then i like yeah we, years later what
2: one what? day we'll discuss oz in more detail yeah. we, we have a zero oz <laughs> policy here but it is something we should discuss i mean personally for me it's like um so he comes out right and i'm like oh cool it's like he's like turkish and i'm like iranian so i'm like oh that's cool there's like someone out there who's sort of middle mm-hmm. eastern who's becoming like a famous doctor and then like he sort of went down the dark side pretty quickly. And I was like, Oh no, he's not one of ours. No. Yeah. Oh, not, you, no, yeah, he, he signed yeah, off. Yeah. You, you wanted guys. to
0: take him. And anyway, you yeah. We yeah. yeah. don't need, we don't need that. We signed but off anyways, on him quick. No. <laughs> <it> just, be, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, cut that. But I um, just because I met him uh, when he was someone else. I'm like, what yeah. happened there? Yeah. But anyway, money, no. money. <laughs> money, sweet money. Well,
2: it's money and, money
1: and money fame. And fame. Money it's an audience. That's a problem is that the, there's an audience and, Again, there's manipulation in marketing. And um, yeah, Dr., we're going to have a whole episode that's called like the Goopy Oz or Ozzy Goop or something like that. And we're just going to like sort of take a dump all over
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, Um, but yeah, and then, you know, the whole, you know, CBD creams, the just. Is there anything that this can't
1: cure? Apparently not. Oh, my God. That's your next book. It's oh. got to be the CBD marijuana thing. Like, that is oh. my request to you. Please spend the next year to eight year, of
2: your life. I, yeah. How many years does it take, by the way, to, to write one of these books?
0: Oh, uh, two, th- I spend it from two to three wow. years on a topic. I've gotten slower over time. I don't know
2: why. <laughs> well it's age catches up to us all, but yeah, what, exactly. what's what's coming next? Can you tell us?
0: Oh, I can't even talk about it. It's an, it's not a human body. I kind of I, I you know, I've sort of used up the roachable <laughs>
2: parts, parts of the body. Of the
0: body. <laughs> I you know, I've covered sex and I've covered the gut and I have covered human bodies in space and in combat and yeah. dead bodies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. And um I I thought about skin but you know I don't then it becomes like just kind of a horrible atlas of gross things
2: growing off. <laughs> right on and, you. and that's the kind of and, thing that you just have to show that's like show it, it doesn't skin. work yes. as well in written word as it does like in a picture
1: i think um body deformities would be a good one because i have a distorted pinky that um cave is repulsed by and, and, hideously I deformed <laughs> and i think it's and i think it's it's just part of me um
2: that should be removed yes but um yeah. <laughs> all right so we you, don't tell us we will just wait to see what it is all we're right. very excited Um, I got to tell you, uh, you probably gathered, and I'm sure the listener has at this point, I'm a big fan. Uh, Your books are so much fun to read. They really help kindle enthusiasm, not just for the layperson in science, but for doctors, too. I'm a GI doctor, and your book, Gulp, I thought was so much fun to read. And there was little tidbits in there that i learned as well there's a lot of fun stuff from just like easy reading kind of stuff to like really yeah. thoughtful stuff i mean it really runs the gambit so
0: um oh thank you so much coming from you that is uh, you guys that is huge and meaningful praise and i thank you uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan too yeah but promise. she meant mostly
2: me she meant yeah. mostly
1: me. no um <laughs> just louder but thank you smarter. so much Settle for down, your time We really appreciate you coming on and giving us your time. We really look forward to what's coming next.
0: Thank you so much. And let's do this again another time.
2: Totally. Thank you, Mary.
0: All right. Thank you so much, you guys.
1: The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific care and or medical needs or concerns. All antidotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible. And